we return now to Deuteronomy and to the handout that you have in front of you. Deuteronomy is the second law. That's what the word means. It's also called the book of the covenant. And we're going to see this come back up uh, as we see Deuteronomy's importance for the rest of Scripture. But we're going to start by uh, refreshing really quickly that Deuteronomy has a lot of elements of a treaty between a greater power and a lesser power, a suzerain vassal type treaty. And uh, if you look at the hybrid outline that I have right there in the middle of the page, chapter by chapter outline hybrid, you'll notice that the first speech is mostly an historical prologue telling this is what God has done for you, therefore this is what you do. And that's how all these treaties were done. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. So the historical prologue is very short there in Exodus 20, but it follows that same structure. Here's what God has done, and this is why you, in a sense, not in a sense, this is why you owe allegiance to him. Here's your duty in this covenant. So then Moses' second speech in chapters 5 through 26 gets into the stipulation. Specifically, here's what is required of you in this covenant, in this um, treaty a covenant relationship, including the blessings and the curses, which hopefully we'll get to spend more time on when we get to the, the latter parts of that second speech here in a little bit. And then Moses's third speech is the historical epilogue, which is the closing element of the, uh, the covenant ceremony. I have a more detailed outline here from Longman and Dillard, who I actually don't have on the Uh, footnotes of this page, but you'll find them on prior pages. Um, They have an example of a very treaty-driven outline of this book. And they they, they say there's a preamble and a historical prologue, and the stipulations and the blessings and curses like we've talked about, and then the ratification where they went through the covenant renewal ceremony in chapters 27 and 28. And then um, they call these his, this historical prologue the succession arrangements. So once Moses passes on, what's going to happen? Like who's going to be his successor? Uh, and then there's the invocation of witnesses uh, to witness this treaty. And then there's the, uh, the pub- provision of public reading there at the end of the book. So that sounds all high and academic and lofty. Um, but within each one of these structures, within each element of the structure, we're seeing that each part of Deuteronomy has a specific function. And one of those things that I really want us to spend our, uh, a lot of time on today is those, those blessings and curses in Deuteronomy. So open up to Deuteronomy 28, uh, 29, 30. If the Israelites are in this covenant relationship with God, there are requirements for them. The requirements we could go ahead and just summarize as the Ten Commandments. And you can see how those are all fleshed out, the first commandment through the tenth commandment, uh, according to the outline on the page. And then there's a ceremony saying, we will do this. And included in that is um, saying, if we don't do this, these curses are against us. So, chapter Deuteronomy 28, the blessings for obedience. Oh, I think it's, this is a helpful exercise. Go ahead and skim through Deuteronomy 28 and 
go ahead and just um, just speak up, pipe up, and tell us specific blessings that are promised for an obedient people. Mm-hmm. Set you high above all the nations of the earth. Mm-hmm. And blessed in food production, or blessed in the womb. Yep. Food production, uh, the fruit of the womb. Increasing the herds. Mm-hmm. Increase of herds. Yes, victory over enemies. Verse 9, the Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. You see the conditionality there. Abounding in prosperity. Mm-hmm. Prosperity. Mm-hmm. Offspring and produce. Yes, offspring and produce. There's also, there's also a purpose there, right? And all the people of the earth shall be called by the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Verse 10, that's right. So, That's right. Be a blessing to all the nations through you. That's it. Yes, this this um this land abundance. It's already come up a few times, and it's crucial. The abundance of the land. Okay, and that's through rain. Let's keep going. Lord will put you in charge. Yeah. Make you the head, not the tail. Head, not the tail. And I, I believe there are more later, but let's go ahead and move on then to the, the curses. If you disobey, and starting in verse 15, let's do the same exercise. What are some of these curses? Uh, curse uh, in food production. Which be a yep. Yes, the, the food production is going to be lacking. The fruit of the womb and the fruit of the ground. Yes. The and herds and flocks. That's it. It's, this is all the negatives of all the blessings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Constant. You will be destroyed and perish quickly. Confusion, frustration. Pestilence will cling to you. Mm. So, I mean, agrarian society has bugs, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, in our society, it's everything you do fails. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's sure. Yep. Wasting disease, not Hmm, it is. Where, what verse is that? 23. The heavens over your head shall be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron. Wow. Scorching hot, hard ground, no fruit of the labor there. And you'll be defeated before your enemies. You shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Yeah, no respect in death. Your body will just be abandoned for food for the wild animals. Mm-hmm. Basically, ten plagues are coming back on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your sons and daughters will be given to other people while you look on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Isn't it? Yes, I, I'm glad you pointed that out. The curses section is much longer. Um, fast forward to verse um, 58. If you are not careful to do all the words of, the, of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting. And he will bring on, and we, we could go on, but it's that there's the condition reminded again in, in chapter 28, verse 58. If you're not careful to do all these things, Yep. That's that's exactly what he did. Right. All right. It's important to spend some time looking at those verses to see the, tangibly what some of these blessings and curses are, because we're going to get to the importance of the land here shortly. The message and the theology, I know we read this, uh, this paragraph last week, but I, I, we'll, we'll, we'll start there again, top of the, the far right column. The law that Moses reiterates here for the people of God is not a means by which they are to earn either their redemption from slavery or the presence of the Lord in their midst. These blessings belong to them as God's people. The instruction of Deuteronomy explains theologically what these events mean for Israel as God's people, and it offers a faithful, inspired guide for how Israel ought to respond to their singular, holy, and loving covenant Lord. How then do you reconcile that, the fact that they are God's covenant people and they do have blessings with the fact that there are these curses articulated for disobedience? Is that, are these curses curses of spiritual and eternal punishment? Are these curses of um, the, some people call them the natural consequences of obedience versus disobedience for a people who is saved? Has anybody studied this in particular before? This question. The question is, how do you, how do you take what we just read, the fact that these people, the Israelites, are, are given God's blessing. They're not trying to earn God's blessing by keeping all these things. They're not trying to, to get um, God's favor. But at the same time, there are these blessings and curses for obedience versus disobedience. So the curses are a blessing. The curses are a blessing. Keep going. That's absolutely right. It's it's the fact that it's it's 
in some ways, it's a reiteration of this morning's sermon. It's the fact that God's plan of redemption is always working through the things that seem cheerful and the things that don't. Through the things that are morally good and the things that are morally bad, God uses them for his glory and for the good of his people. There is... um, All right, so imagine a seesaw without a fulcrum in the middle. What do you have? You have a board. (laughs) Okay, all right. Um, God has promised to enter into this covenant with Abraham. If he holds up his end of the covenant, the board, all right, so if God lifts up his end of the board, these requirements fall then on Abraham and his descendants, assuming, okay, this is important, what kind of Abraham's descendants? Abraham's descendants by faith. That's crucial, and it always has been. Um, those who have faith, God says, we're in this covenant relationship. All right, so this, these blessings of eternal security um, are already theirs. So God holds up his end. God says, because, and, and I'm going to, my end, when I hold up my end of the deal and I give you all these blessings of abundance and life, um, it, that's yours if you hold up your end of the deal. The relationship cannot break. All right, so we're already in this covenant relationship together. God says, I will bless you as long as you're able to hold up your end of the deal. And that seems a little bit counterintuitive, like, but I thought God just freely gives. And that's exactly the point. Because in that very promise that God made to Abraham, he, he passed through keeping his end of the deal up. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you all these, all these uh, covenant uh, these abundances of, of land, which we're going to find out actually foreshadows the truest abundance of land that is coming for all believers. He says, and I'm going to uphold your end of the deal as man. Man has to hold up his end of the deal for these blessings to come to God's people. And, and Israel did uphold their end of the deal as Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Okay, so... All these blessings and all these curses that we see are God's way of training us and God's way of showing us, here's what you're headed for as God's people. It looks like a prosperous tomato plant right now, but it's going to be spiritual blessings and a fountain of life and a feast of spiritual food that you couldn't imagine in Christ and on that last day. And so this is all a foreshadow. It's veiled. It's, it's, it's like seeing through fog dimly. What, I mean, how does Paul say it? It's seeing through, through a glass darkly. It, it's, it's, you, you can't see the full picture of these blessings that God is promising, but all this abundance of land and this abundance of life and the fruit of the womb and the victory over enemies, these are all showing us exactly what we get in their fullest extent when we are in Christ. And so we see these blessings and curses and think, all right, if God is going to bless us for living in this covenant relationship with him in faithfulness, how much more is he going to bless us if we live in Christ's faithfulness to this covenant keeping? So then we don't receive the blessings of the law by keeping the law. We're no longer under the law although we still get the blessings of the law because one has already kept the law for us, and so we're then incorporated into all these blessings by faith in the one who has kept the law. 
you're saying the new covenant isn't the new covenant at all. That's right. It is... It's been that covenant from day one. Yes, called the new covenant in Jeremiah 31. Yes, come to its fullest fruition in Christ, but Christ is fulfilling all these old promises and these old covenants and bringing those blessings to his people by faith. Yeah, absolutely. It's that, it's that underlying covenant of redemption that, has, that is eternal, that God has been working and planning for his people. And you see it in the covenant of works, which man failed well, one man did not. And then the covenant of grace in which we are all then brought into his victory. And so even this is a part of that covenant of grace for those people who are in Christ, who have faith in Christ. They don't know that his name is Jesus of Nazareth, but they know that he's the seed of the woman that's going to come and crush the head of the serpent, and their faith is in him. And so they see the blessings and curses, and they say that is what we're going to have in our Savior, and it is their faith in Him that saves and, and brings them into that, that blessing. All this abundance that we just read about is received by all those who are in Christ. We'll stop there. Thoughts, comments, questions? Um, about us as believers. Um, so, Paul writes, we are Christ's ambassadors. Um, Peter says we are uh, a holy nation because he's writing to Jew, Jewish believers. Is he picking up Old Testament language then by calling us priests or calling the Jewish believers priests rather than um, ambassadors like Paul says or uh, just messengers of, of the gospel? Ask your question one more time. Okay. Paul says Christ's ambassadors. Mm -hmm. Peter says uh, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Old Testament also, the Jews were called, the Israelites were called to be a kingdom set apart, a holy nation, mm -hmm. and they failed in that aspect because they kept it all to themselves. Mm -hmm. So is Peter just reiterating for his Jewish believers in Christ Old Testament verbiage because in in that aspect we aren't priests we are we are just messengers of the good news Christ is the only high priest we are we're a priesthood of all believers that's what I'm getting at too yeah so I would need to do more study specifically in what it means that we are priests but yes I, we are priests right so um, Jews and Gentiles all who are in Christ have have that access to God, but it's through the great high priest and through him alone. Um, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm using it more as this relationship, not this relationship. I don't understand. <laughs> I'm very sorry. <laughs> so we are priests to other uh, non-believers. Oh, priests. Are we priests to other non-believers? Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. I, I would say that we're just ambassadors of the gospel. So we have Christ in us. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but it seems like, uh, like when the Levitical priests who were intercessors, right? Mm -hmm. They were going into the presence of God. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have that in us. 
Yeah, because all, I mean, Christ is that prophet, priest, and king. He fulfills the role of the prophets, the role of the priests, the role of the king. He is that in, in their fullness in those offices. So we are not on our own priests, um, but, but in Christ, um, perhaps we might have priestly functions. And, th- and that's something I would need to do more study on. And um, I may end up having to go cut that out of the lecture at the vid- recording at some point for uh, heresy. Um, <laughs> but you know, if, if we were, as always, you know, looking at the, the current news and, and uh, thinking how far our country has, uh, those of us who remember back 40, 50 years, uh, has slidden uh, away from Judeo-Christian principles. And we are reaping those curses um, because our kids and grandkids and our great-grandkids are not following uh, the principles that our forefathers in this country established. Or maybe we're just more aware of it now because of mass media. It's hard to say. It is hard to say. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to find some resource here on the, the priesthood of all believers. I'm going to make a note of that to bring it back in the future. No, that's fine. Yeah, so uh, specifically the, the blessings are for the faithful, the curses are for those who are unfaithful in, in terms of obedience and disobedience. Do you mean those who have faith when you say that, the blessing? That's what I'm wondering. Is yeah. How does that play to, yeah. like, if someone has... If, if someone with faith disobeys and dies for their, you know, in con- Yeah, well, we see that happening today. That's That's always been the case. I mean, sin has... Um, sin is going to win the physical fight first, right? I mean, that's, except for um, the very few who will, you know, those who have not died, those who will be alive when Christ returns. Um, Everyone's destined to die once and then to face judgment. So that, in one sense, yes, there, there is the fallenness of the world that's going to, the, the curse of, of death is going to be uh, victorious in a limited sense for believers, um, but not in a final sense. <clears throat> so there are Israelites who were faithful who died in exile, who had faith in God, um, and they died in exile. They received the curses for the, the brokenness, uh, the disobedience of the nation of Israel. There are Christians who are going to die for the curses of sins because of the brokenness of, of our, our human disobedience. Um, but when you fast forward to when the new heavens and the new earth 
meet when Christ returns and when, when God brings a new Jerusalem down. All these blessings um, are not just fulfilled, they're magnified. Because you see there is this, uh, this is actually a theme in Deuteronomy, and we've, we've kind of straight, I'd like to get back on to Deuteronomy. Um, but there's this theme in Deuteronomy of one God, one people, one land, one sanctuary, and that is going to come to its fullest when Christ returns to his bride, there's, there's going to be one body, and even it's true now, there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, Ephesians 4. And so that concept of the unified um, believers receiving the blessings in their Savior, it, it, it starts in Deuteronomy and it is fulfilled in Christ. One thing that the... The prophets, I'm going to, I just want to show in two cases here why Deuteronomy is so important for so much of uh, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Next time we get to uh, Joshua. So next week we'll be in Deuteronomy chapters 1 through 11. The next week we'll be in kind of an introduction to the historical books of the Old Testament. And then the next week we'll be in Joshua. Um, when we get there, we'll see that it, uh, he's sampling some of the Deuteron Deuteronomy teachings. So at the very beginning of the history of Israel, written out by, um, well, starting in the book of Joshua, uh, you see that the, the theology that's going on here in Deuteronomy is important for the rest of Israelite history. Even when the prophets came later, I think especially of the minor prophets, but um, Isaiah and, and Jeremiah also were this, they, they became covenant prosecutors to Israel. So they came and spoke God's words to Israel, reminding them of these blessings and curses, of the law that is required of them, these things that are proper for those who are in relationship with God, those who are part of the, the people of God, it is proper that they live in line with the law, Deuteronomy 5 through 26. And then they came and they started prosecuting Israel for breaking the covenant in this way, in this way, in this way, and saying, you're going to receive this curse and this curse and this curse and this curse. And they did ultimately in the exile. And so... Um, the prophets then, are their whole ministry is based on what's going on here in Deuteronomy, the giving of the law and the blessings and the curses that come from this. And then there's one case where uh, it's widely believed, uh, it's not proven, but it's, it's very reasonable that at one point Israel did face renewal because of King Josiah. Y'all remember the story of young Josiah, and he returned Israel to faithfulness to God because um, it seems, um, scholars seem to be not in 100% agreement, but they seem to agree that it's because he found the book of Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy contains uh, so many of these blessings and curses. And so I actually want to read for you a couple um, specific Deuteronomy things that were a part of Josiah's renewal of the land. Go find it. One of them is the centralization of worship. God had commanded his people to destroy the Canaanite worship sites, and they didn't. 
God said, you are to worship me in my house as it is proper. And, and Josiah actually went and destroyed many of those high places. Now, here are some of those Deuteronomy features that are true of Josiah's reform. First of all, Deuteronomy 12 requires the destruction of the Canaanite high places. Um, and, and that worship must be conducted at a centralized sanctuary. Josiah did that in 2 Kings 23. Another thing, in Exodus 12... Um, there, it says Passover can be uh, observed in the confines of the family. Deuteronomy 16 says that Passover should be observed at the central sanctuary. So Josiah actually takes Passover to the central sanctuary. So it seems that he's reading Deuteronomy for instruction on how Passover ought to be done. Number three, Deuteronomy also in, enjoined the elimination of mediums, spiritists, and diviners from Israel. So you've got to get rid of these fake spiritual practicers. And uh, instead, you are to hear the will of God through the prophets. That's Deuteronomy 18. And so Josiah removed the mediums. That was a part of his reform as well in 2 Kings 23. Uh, and then number four, the book uh, that was presented to Josiah contained a series of curses. Well, we've just looked at what some of those curses uh, were, probably. Uh, number five, Deuteronomy requires the kings in Israel to rule in accordance with a copy of the law in Deuteronomy 17. And we've, we've seen this at other times. The kings were required to read the law every day and actually to, I believe, to write down their own copy of it. I think that's what's going on in Deuteronomy 17, uh, verses 18 and 19. And that is exactly the action uh, described of Josiah in 2 Kings 22. And the book that was given to Josiah was identified as a book of the covenant. And we see this book is very much the book of the covenant and the covenant renewal um, for those who are about to head into the promised land and in victory to take over and to purify the land for God's purposes. So, sounds like Josiah was using Deuteronomy to reform the nation. Just in, uh, I think, a very, very cool historical uh, connection for us there. As we approach the New Testament, there are some themes that are common. I, I want to focus on two of them. Uh, I mean, if you go further down the list, you can see Jesus even quotes Deuteronomy three times against Satan. He's, he's quoting Deuteronomy in the Sermon on the Mount, including as he talks about the, the eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That's the, the Lex uh, Talionis. And then there are many more uh, cases. And, and if you want to see Miles Van Pelt's uh, chapter there, um, I, can, I can show you those, those paragraphs. But the first two points I want to look at. Remembering God's past blessings fuels present faithfulness. The Shema is not just a statement that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It turns into an entire application of how then you're supposed to live and what you're supposed to talk about. And one of those things is the faithfulness of God. God has been faithful in the past. He has shown kindness to his people. And he is going to continue to be in his character the faithful God that he always has been. And you see this in, um, you can see all those cross-references there. But there's one that I, I want to add in it. It's, it's Psalm 77. Psalm 77 talks about how in the past, in, in the midst of his trouble, David cries out to God and says, I'm going to remember what you've done. Psalm 77, 11 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Remember Deuteronomy is the book of remembrance. David says in uh, 77, verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I'm sorry, this was not David. This was Asaph. I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. 
What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. And you can see over the next verses, 16, 17, 18, 19, uses these cosmic descriptions of how much God has done to save and to redeem his people. And then in verse 20, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is a great example of recalling who God is, the redemption that he works, and remembering who he is in the midst of trial. And say, I'm going to appeal to this. I'm going to remember who my God is. He will not spurn forever. He will not always be unfavorable in the midst of trial. So remembering God's past blessings fuels present faithfulness. And then the Shema in particular does this. And uh, the Shema is used uh, to evaluate true faith throughout the Bible. Uh, we looked at the Shema last time. I'll just uh, refresh really quickly. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. This is a heart condition. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Teach these truths, this law you just heard, this God who, who we are remembering has saved us from Egypt. Teach these things to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house on your gates. In other words, you shouldn't be able to go anywhere without seeing signs of God's faithfulness and without talking about it and reminding yourself that this is the God that you worship. And he is faithful and he is one. And so when Jesus talks about being one with the Father on multiple occasions in the New Testament, it's claiming this divine God is one uh, divinity uh, and saying he is the one about whom we talk. He is the one to whom we look. He is the one who fulfills all these longings of our hearts and the one who brings all these blessings promised to the nations or to, to those who are faithful, specifically um, illustrated in the nation of Israel. Okay, we should stop there. Thoughts, comments, questions? We covered a lot of um, hefty stuff. Okay, let's, uh, let's pray, and then we will stand and sing one more song. Thank you, God, for giving us your word and your law. We thank you that you have entered into covenant relationship with your people and that all those blessings that Israel longed for receive their yes and their amen in you. And for all those who are in you, these blessings abundant, these eternal blessings are ours with confidence and with hope. And so we look back at how faithful you've been and we know that looking forward, we have a sure inheritance abundant land in the new creation. We know that we have uh, life beyond anything that we could ask or imagine, this eternal life that will never see the ground dry up, that will never see the curse of death and sin anymore because you have earned that life and given these blessings to those who have faith in Christ. So would that carry us forward would we be people who remember and would we be people who act 
as those who know a gracious God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.